Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Fight hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco. Welcome to the Waco History Podcast. I'm Randy Lane, great-grandson of Waco architect Roy E. Lane. Over a hundred years ago, he designed the Alico Building, Hippodrome, and other well-known landmarks. My co-host, Dr. Stephen Sloan of Baylor's Oral History Institute, is helping me learn Waco's known and unknown stories. On this episode, Haunted Waco. The legend says that at night, you'll see the woman walking, wearing a tattered dress that's half burned or half black. She never faces you. She's always walking with traffic. And you'll go by her real fast. And then if you look in your rear view, she's not there. She'll disappear. We've invited local folklore expert Brad Turner into the studio to talk about Waco's best stories of the supernatural. There's a little girl who walks among the tombstones, usually very early in the morning. Pull up a seat around the campfire as we discuss Waco's haunted past. Back on the Waco History Podcast, Stephen, we have a special guest. Oh, we're fortunate today because we have Bradley T. Turner, a seventh-generation mm. Wacoan. Wow. And so he goes way yeah. back. Brad's quite a renaissance man. He's a musician. He's a photographer. He's an environmentalist. Never happy. Political scientist, historian, <laughs> writer, author. So he, he does a lot of different things. Teaches all over town. One book we want to highlight that he's done, he's done several on, on local historical topics. Uh, one book that we want to highlight that he's done that, that I have a personal beef with him about, and I'll share that in a minute, <laughs> is Lust, Violence, Religion, Life in Historic Waco. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my beef with him, and I've shared this with him before, is this is what I was going to title my autobiography. <laughs> and so I have a problem with the title of this book because he, he got to it first. We can still negotiate, though. We can do a second edition and you can be the feature in the front. It kind of right. reminds me of like one of the only history books I've read, the Guns, Germs, and Steel. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's a good title. <laughs> this book has it all. This book has it all. But I brought him here today in particular, another book that he's done, Goatmen, Cotton Bale, Cotton Bales, Goatmen. <laughs> And witches. And witches. Boom. Okay. So when you said we needed to do a spooky Waco yeah. episode for this October, when I thought spooky and I thought Waco, I thought Brad Turner. Because <laughs> nothing's creepier than me. Exactly. <laughs> and this is a, be happy this is a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> so much truth. So, Thanks for radio. So I, so I brought Brad in to share us. Uh, he's a historian. And, and I brought Brad in to share with us some of the spookier sides of Waco history, which he's, he's well-equipped to do. Excellent. So I don't know anything about the folklore of the Waco area, and I'm really excited to hear. I want the best of the best. So we, we were talking before this, and you said that you had like hundreds of these stories, and you put 70 in the book. I don't think we have time for 70, but I want the best of the best. So what, oh, do, you, what do you got? Well, 
Well, the best of the best. All right, well, first, let me preface everything by saying, if you don't mind, <laughs> whenever you tell people that you're writing local ghost stories, the first thing they do is they get real quiet. <laughs> and they'll kind of look left, and they'll kind of look right, and they'll say, well... I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't know any good ones, but but there's this one that I always used to hear about, <laughs> and that's sort of where I want to go with this. You okay. see, I also want to clarify that I have absolutely no desire to find out if these stories are true or not, <laughs> and and a lot of times, nothing against people that do uh, want to go try to catch smoke. Oh, that's okay, but that's really not what I'm about. Allow me to preface this by saying. Is this a second preface? I guess. I don't know. I'm all over the place, man. It's a forward to the preface. I'm like a, like a caffeinated squirrel. There's a, I wish so badly that I had all the local legends from when my great-great-grandfather was in Waco. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason why we sort of did the project where we put them all together was because no one had really organized them mm -hmm. and put them together. So some of them are, are way out there. I mean, way out there. <laughs> Others sound more like your classic good old-fashioned, I call them goat man stories, your good old-fashioned goat man story. And the way that I included a story, either in the book or wrote it, was I took a little bit of my oral history background, and whenever I would interview people about it, it was mostly impromptu. I would take my phone out whenever, whenever they get real quiet. I'd say, all right, I'm gonna, I'll tell you about the goat man tell you about the goat man my mom's seen the goat man well hey i'm not saying your mom hadn't seen the goat man and i'm not saying she has could not care less what i care about is all right what the goat man look like so i'll pull my phone out and i'll set the voice memo recording i'll have the person tell me their name spell it for me i'll have the person i'll sort of re-intro it and i'll be like all right right there on the spot tell tell me about the goat man and they'll say, well, the goat man. And then they'll look left and right again. I'm like, I don't want to sound crazy here, but the, <laughs> the goat man. Anyway, so that's just sort of, I want to preface it the third time, I guess, by saying that. <laughs> so every story that I selected, I was told three separate times by people who did not know one another. Oh, okay. Uh, so that means it's, it could this be true. Is real. Yeah. So I, I want to preface too. So <laughs> ideally, as you're listening to this, go outside, build a campfire Turn all the lights off <laughs> mm -hmm. and listen to what Brad's going to tell Get you. Get a flashlight, put it under your chin. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, boys and girls, now's the time you need to go to bed. This is just for the grown-ups. So here's some, here's some of my personal favorites. Okay. We'll start with the most popular ones. The good old Cameron Park Witch. Cameron Park Witch. Oh, right. the Cameron Park Witch. Now, there's actually multiple versions of the Cameron Park Witch Legend. There's the classic one that you hear that sounds like a 1970s horror film, the one that's in Weird Texas, which I am not a fan of because it talks about how she sort of Hansel and Gretel style would lure children to these places and like eat them like in a soup or something weird. <laughs> I mean, really? That happened in Waco. Really? <laughs> really? Really? I'll just go ahead and say that's one of the legends and get it out of the way because I don't like it. Now, here's the ones I like. Another version of the Cameron Park Witch legend says that the Cameron Park Witch wasn't a witch at all, but was actually an actress on Two Street. For those of you listening out there, that means a prostitute who worked <laughs> on Two Street. Back in the day, Waco had legalized prostitution uh, for about 50 years or so. 
And according to the legend, she was an actress on Two Street. Is actress like saying an exotic dancer? No, it means prostitute. On the census records, they might be listed as uh, laundresses, seamstresses, actresses. Because I guess there is some sort of acting to it, but there you go. And according to the legend, about 1900 or so, uh, in the legend, uh, she would have had to have been white. And in the legend, which because there was all races on Two Street, and in the legend, she uh, conceived a child with one of her Johns in about 1900, 1899, 1901, somewhere in there. And when the park was dedicated in 1910, since she really didn't have anywhere else to go or anything else to do, she and her child would go to Cameron Park. And they would spend the time together. And she truly loved her child. The legend says that over time, what happened was the woman bought a small shack over on the edge of what became Cameron Park. And that's where they would go again, pass their time, having picnics, going all through the different areas because there were trails and things like that that you could go through. She became friends with the vagrants because uh, that's, again, there have always been vagrants in those woods. It's been an area for people, transient people, this and that. And according to the legend, about 1917, her young son decided he wanted to go to war. And she, heartbroken, went to the park all by herself and just would looking forward to him coming home from Europe. And according to the legend, her son never came home. He was killed overseas. And it was at that point that the woman, the Cameron Park woman, went mad. She would frequent the park, and vagrants would always talk about seeing her at night, uh, babbling on, crying, grieving her son, and that her shack fell into further disrepair. She quit frequenting the shack, and no one ever saw or heard from her. She just sort of moved into the woods and disappeared. And Vagrant said that sometimes at night she would come and find you. She would see you either asking you for food or asking you for something. Her hair matted together like some kind of feral person. And legend says in some versions that they found pieces of her clothes because she wore the same threadbare clothes. They found pieces of her clothes and that the woman was in fact just a lady who just went mad grieving her child and that you'll still see her ghost wandering grieving her son that's why she's always crying that's the second legend that's the one that's one of my like that's not one of so is the idea that maybe she passed away she's in still the grieving in the in the park yeah no one found yeah. her body maybe no one her, found her body her and, spirit and, is restless maybe yep that's exactly that's where the legend comes from okay that so is, what part of cameron park would that be this is witch's cat is this witch's castle is no this, no this is different than. and witch's what's castle. funny about okay. witch's castle yeah is you don't hear anyone mention the witch's castle until about the 1970s. Okay. The same time Hansel and Gretel are getting eaten. I see. Okay. So the whole idea of a witch's castle is a new idea. If mm. you go back and read the Waco News Tribune, etc., and look for even accounts of the Cameron Witch, there's one about a, a woman on a horse, a ghost woman on a horse who rides through Cameron Park, who I think has scarlet hair or something, who screams. It's always... Someone who's either in a shack or someone who's mobile. The castle thing only came about really later. There was also a very dark period, as I figure many of these listeners are well aware of Cameron Park's history, where there was lots of high levels of vice um, and reported levels of, well, different interactions with uh, 
the occult, uh, and in some cases, uh, even Satanism and things like that, or at least that's the reputation. Mm-hmm. That's about the same time the witch's castle came about. Okay. It's mm-hmm. also on private land, the archway. I assume that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. It's also on private land, and if you go there, you can be you can be arrested for trespassing. So anyway. So where's it supposed to be? So I'm one of the great parts about this podcast is I'm not from here. Oh, I have family ties here, but I'm not from here, so I don't know anything you're talking about. So archway, where's this archway here? Um, I believe the address is 1300 Holiday. It's right over off of is it Adeline? It's in the residential area of Cameron Park. Okay. And uh, again, you have you have to know how to get there. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to get there. Most of the time, what you'll find now are, I haven't seen it in a long, long, long time. Uh, <clears throat> legally, haven't seen it in a long, long, <laughs> long time. Last time I was there, it was spray painted and had beer bottles everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But the ones I had always heard, at least from the past, was that the Cameron Park Witch lived in a shack. Now, another one, version number three, is that the Cameron Park Witch was the Cameron's nanny. The art center, what used to be the art center, the building there on McLennan Community College campus used to be the summer home of the Camerons. According to the legend, she was called a witch by her contemporaries. Again, vagrants always frequented the area down by the mouth of the Bosque and that she would take the children out for fresh air and that if she encountered a vagrant, she would run you off for trespassing, tell you, why are you here? She might even fetch a switch from a nearby tree, (laughs) swat at you. And then later in the year, as the days grew shorter, she might carry a lantern or something like that. Well, according to that version of the legend, she wasn't the most attractive of females to the vagrants, or she was really mean, Uh, Victorian garb, etc. And so they started referring to her as the witch, Mm. the Cameron's witch is what they would call her. According to legend, she she really loved the Cameron children a lot. And she unexpectedly died of a fever. And that the vagrants would again report seeing the Cameron's witch uh, running around at night, frantically looking for the Cameron children, believing she lost them. And she might be carrying a lantern uh, and harass you, asking if, if you have the children, if you took the children, where are the children? Uh, she might even, in, in some accounts, fetch a phantom switch and, and chase you with it uh, until you've reached a certain edge, if you will, the park boundary. And so that's the, that's the real third version of the Cameron Park Witch legend. The fourth one was she, um, she lived way up at the top where about the Hale-Bopp trailhead comes in. You know, you'll see some, if you're ever on the Hale-Bopp trailhead, or on the Hillbop Trail in Cameron Park, right over by the Highlander Trail, far, far corner of the park, behind Lover's Leap, there's a pile of bricks, just kind of randomly, not long after you start the trail, if you start at the Cameron Baseball Field. There's a pile of bricks, and according to the legend, that was the fireplace of a shack for a woman who was just kind of uh, crazy. Uh, She lived by herself. She liked to make little dolls out of sticks, you might know her as the crazy cat lady. Yeah, not to use a stereotype, but I'll have but I have to there. Uh the idea that a person who just had tons and tons of animal friends, single, she would go out at night and babble on chanting. And that again, every version I've heard it always starts with a vagrant. Uh, the vagrants would talk about the the crazy woman on the edge of 
on the edge of Cameron's Park because Cameron Park, as we know it, was added on to. I mean, you had the, the core dedicated land and then you had areas that were added. And she lived in one of the added areas later. And that you just hear her out there you know, doing her weird garbled chants. And that that's who you see is her chanting. She won't hurt you. She's just creepy. And you see her ghost walking through the trees at night, usually up at the top where the cedar trees are. Uh, you hear her ghost. And you might see like uh, stick dolls and things, which I always found like a throwback to that 90s movie, The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> so I don't know. But again, every single version was three separate people told me the same legend mm. from uh, and they did not know each other. Because I would ask, do you know such a, you know different people? Because that's the best way you can track down folklore because there's no way to, to prove it or back it up. That's what makes it so cool. <laughs> Is it... Around the same time period for all of these legends? Yes. In almost every situation, you're looking at early 20th century. Okay. Uh, except for maybe the Cameron children, which would be late 19th. So within about, a th I'd say, end of the Gilded Era is usually where most of these are set. And then, of course, you have the one Hansel and Gretel, which originates more about the same time B-horror movies start coming out. 60s, 70s, times like that. And so are people still reporting these sightings today? Now, I have not seen or personally talked to anyone who has encountered the Cameron Park Witch lately, though I have heard from relatives about the time that uh, a lantern chased them through Cameron Park. Mm. So I've heard that one. But again, I have no desire to find out anything <laughs> more. I don't want to go looking for something I don't want to find. You don't like that sort of thing? Mm, I'm good. See, I, Nothing I, against people that do. I think Nothing it's kind of fun. It's fun to dabble. Um, so where I'm from, Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's not too far from Eureka Springs. And I'd always try and go to one of the, the hotels that's supposedly haunted and hear things. But it's always just like people are like, oh, you hear people moving around in the middle of the night. You know, and I'm like, when you stay there, you go, it's a really old hotel. People are getting up to go to the bathroom two floors up and you can hear it because it's just that old. <laughs> you know, it's all unsubstantiated, really. But it's kind of fun to think like, oh, it maybe. It is. It is. And here's the other thing. Think of it like this. Nobody stops somebody in the middle of an Aggie joke and asks them which Aggie walked into which bar and said, what to the bartender now? <laughs> and who was the Longhorn that was with them? And of course, the Baylor Bear, who's always the star of the joke. Who, uh, what did, uh, who was it? Let's be specific here. They don't. They just wait, listen to the story, take its moral truth from it and wait for the punchline. <laughs> A good folklore, good ghost story should be the same way. Now, I'm not saying that whoever's out there, you know, I'm not saying that what you've seen isn't real. And I'm not saying that it is. Again, that's, that is not my angle at all. My angle is all about recording the, for lack of a better term, these very limited social memories. Things that have their own little truths to them. Because their stories alone are what make them important. In almost every situation, they involve a popular place in Waco. A lot of them centered around Cameron Park. You know, mm -hmm. you think about wilderness and sort of these mysterious, sort of untamed places. So I think of Cameron Park as kind of a, a hot spot around where a lot of these stories center. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I'd say 10 out of the 70 that are in that one book, 10 of the 70 are all based in Cameron Park. Uh, you also hear the stories of dancing orbs that just spin through the story of the, the tar pits, the motorcycle pits, where some people say they see a skeleton. Other people say they hear engines or you hear people crying. 
What you find is a lot of times in local legends, there's very similar themes. There's always usually a moral at the end. Often that moral I've discovered is don't walk by yourself, which you shouldn't do in Cameron <laughs> Park or any park anyway. But usually it's don't go by yourself. So like if we throw it to the goat man, uh, there's, there's, there's three different goat man legends that I'm aware of in McLennan County. One is up in West off Old Railroad Road. There's a goat man who lives under the bridge. The other two I've heard about are one from, well, in Waco, but their origins are different. And I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and share those with you. Too Please, far. yeah. Um, all right. So the first one is uh, a case. The goat man is a case of, of bad science. Science <laughs> gone wrong. I like it. Some Baylor experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be a bad Baylor experiment. And, <laughs> and the goat man was this super aggressive goat hybrid man. Looked like a goat and looked like a man. And who was about six or seven feet tall and would go through and terrorize things. Would kill livestock. And you only see him at night. He wanders up and down the Bosky River. And a lot of times the goat man legend also came about before Lake Waco was really, really put together. I mean, we're talking about really Camp MacArthur days up until about the first lake in the 1920s. But the goat man legend continued strong uh, well into the time that even my parents were children in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, the goat man legend was one of the most popular ones, the goat man of Lake Waco. Just a science experiment gone wrong, but... But, but the other one is about as disturbing as it gets, in my opinion. It says that the, that the goat man was the, was the offspring of a drunken, I don't know, goat herder, I guess, and a goat. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Well, legend goes that the goat man had a human dad and a goat for a mom. This is a first for the Waco History Podcast. Hey, hey, I mean, I mean. It's early days. There's a lot of firsts. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm glad this one can be associated with me. So, sorry, Mom. And um, Earmuffs for the kids. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> well, the legend goes that the goat had a, had a little, little goat man baby a little while later, and that when the... When the guy saw the creature, he was so repulsed by it that he decided he was going to kill it. So he went inside to fetch a shotgun. When he came back out, the creature was gone. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He did come out and shoot it. And <laughs> I'm sorry. What? It's been a while. What? He did come out and shoot it. And when he did, the creature, apparently being part human, according to legend, went to heaven Heaven said we can't let you in because you look like a goat. You favor Satan. So went to the gates of hell. And at the gates of hell, they said, you're innocent. There's no reason for you to be here. So its spirit was sent back to earth. Back to our world. And it was at this point that when the man was going to bury his child, that's when it was gone. Sorry, folks. It's been a long day. At that point was when it disappeared. Wow. And that's why the goat man... In this case, the goat man will now come and chase down and try to do like, uh, uh, usually males, people look about like me, that the goat man will try and chase them down, devour them, etc., believing it to be their, their father, who they're seeking vengeance against. Um. And then, oh, and I forgot one other one for the goat man. 
that the goat man, so I'll make this the third one. The goat man is a, a demon sent from hell who devours children who are by themselves wandering the park and he consumes them whole. He's sent by Satan himself. Pretty much wherever you go, you got your goat man legends. And your goat man legends are very popular, especially in rural places. Uh, is it something that's not unique to Waco then? Well, ours is just by sight. Okay. But really, pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to have a witch. Pretty much anywhere you go, you got a lover's leap. Pretty much anywhere you go, you got a goat man or some kind of monster like a goat man. Like a wild man. Uh huh. Because there's also a legend of a wild man who's in northern McLennan County. And that's just about it. It destroys deer feeders. Um, it, you'll find half-eaten game or livestock, uh, etc. And supposedly it's some sort of primate, some sort of ape-looking creature. Bigfoot? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like your Bigfoot or your Sasquatch kind of thing. I was going to ask about the, uh, the goat man because we don't have a goat man in Tulsa where I'm from, but there is a prevalence of Bigfoot sightings. So I didn't oh. know if that's a... You know, I know that's a thing that's common throughout different states, and if maybe there's any Bigfoots around here, and so maybe there is one. Hey, you never know. He's, <laughs> he's the hide-and-seek champion. No. Uh, that being said, I know I was, I was up in uh, Mount St. Helens area not too long ago, and that's, I mean, that, that's big Bigfoot country. <laughs> and, uh, and, I mean, they even have hats that say gone squatching on them and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, again, it's, it's one of those deals that McLennan County in particular has its own the wild man or the hairy man. So I don't know, uh, but I've heard of goat men in different areas. And most of the time, these are legends that come about. I don't see any traces of the goat man whenever I either ask or research or try to find anything I can, which people didn't write it down. So you don't totally know. For about the 1940s or 50s. Though again, Goatman uh, wandering the area that was the, I'll call it the ancestral Bosque River. Though uh, we're all talking about pre-Lake pre Waco. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what, what time period was Goatman or is Goatman? The story is usually set in about the really post-MacArthur, 1920s, <laughs> 1930s. But it's told a whole lot uh, in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. There's a couple of different warnings in there. I mean, aside from bestiality. Um, yes. <laughs> the buddy system. The buddy system. Yeah. It's all to okay. support the buddy system. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we have witches. Yes. Sir, witches. We, we have the goat men. Yep. So you mentioned uh, Lover's Leap. If you want to talk a little bit about okay. Lover's Leap as a as a ghost story. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult for me to tell it as a ghost story. Mm -hmm. I find myself unable to be that spooky about it. But yeah, so um, Lover's Leap is one of the richest local stories that there is. Uh, that and the Lindsay Brothers, uh, which we I'll tell. There's two versions of that story. I'll tell them here in just a little bit. And of course, the Cameron Park Witch. Lover's Leap. This was, and it's true, this was also written as a play that was performed in New York, I believe. Uh, Off-Broadway, is that correct? I believe that's right. I think that's right, yeah. And the only thing that's left of it is just the, the Playbill cover. There's no script. I believe that's right. Anyway, uh, Decca Lamar West wrote the uh, version including uh, discussing Wawati and her lover. This was sort of set, I'm going to guess this would have been about the, the same time as uh, Depredation's book was written. Mm -hmm. um, which for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, it was a late 19th century history book uh, written with a, a very large white slant to it that tells about the different interactions with indigenous peoples 
uh, in their fights. The legend goes that there was a Waco, and some people call it Hawako or Hueco, but really it's, it's still Waco. Um, or I'll call it Waco. There was a chief, or one of the chiefs, that had a daughter who was a princess who was named Wawati. While an opposing tribe was camped on the other side of the bank, some people say it was the Cherokee, which would have camped on about where East Waco is. Others say it was uh, Comanche or Tehokanar or whatever. Whenever she was in what is now the park, met a brave who was from the other tribe. The two sort of had eyes for one another, decided to start meeting in secret. The legend goes that, that they, they would go off for hours together into the park, only it wasn't the park then, it was still the Waco Village sat, uh, we're about now the Taylor Museum, or uh, what's left of the Taylor Museum is still sitting around. And um, they would go into what is now Cameron Park together. Well, uh, according to the legend, Wawati one night overhears her brothers and her father talking about how they're going to go raid the, the tribe on the other side of the river the next day or so, or tomorrow morning. And she decides that what she's going to do is go and warn him about it. So she sneaks across the river and goes to warn him about it. And so they decide together that they will, they will go into the, what is now the park to sort of hide out together. And according to legend, they go to their favorite place, which is the, the highest point in the park, uh, Lover's Leap. It's at this point that her brothers have actually followed her across the river and believe her to be kidnapped and then say that, come, you know, come with us. We'll take care of this guy. And she says, no, I would rather be with him and he would rather be with me. And then together they decide in their ultimate sacrifice that they'll, they jump off the top of Lover's Leap together. Supposedly, the legend goes that it was after that they decided that maybe we should uh, negotiate this a little more. Your classic Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. if you will. According to the legend, usually in the springtime, uh, you can either hear them still giggling and laughing like young lovers do uh, down, by, down by the river, but usually when the flowers are in bloom. Uh, other version of the legend says that on full moons, that it all happened when it was still dark, and on a full moon, because it was a full moon, you'll see their shadows jump off the top of Lover's Leap together. I don't mm. know why ghosts suddenly become OCD and do the same thing over and over, <laughs> but that's just sort of where that legend originates and again it's about wawati and of course the dude doesn't have a name no one ever knows his name wawato uh, yeah wawato i like that wawato and wawati <laughs> there's lots of places that have lovers leaps you have them in north carolina that i can think of i think there's one in jamaica but there's lovers leaps all over the place and it's nine times out of ten it's the same exact story so was there ever a Waco princess named Wawati that jumped off the top of Lover's Leap with her suitor, as my grandmother would have said, suitor. I have no earthly idea, but that's sort of where that all comes from, and it becomes a very, very rich story. So as you're gathering, you're going out and gathering these interviews, I'm interested if any of the people that you talked to and gathered oral histories from had encounters. Are they, are they telling stories that they've heard or some saying, I know this is true because it happened to me. A little bit of both. In the case, obviously, of Lover's Leap, that one I got when I went to, well, let me start by saying when I, when I first started trying to put this collection of stories together, the first thing I did is what I always do. I was initially trained as a research historian. The first thing I do is I go to the Texas collection. At the time, uh, I talked to Ellen Brown. 
and I say, I ask like, um, what are some good ghost stories? Do, are there any books on ghost stories, etc.? She's like, well, not really, um, but there's a few legends about local things like, like Lover's Leap. So that one had sort of been written. Other times what would happen is I would have people that would seek me out to share their stories with me. Usually they were about houses that were private residences of the kind of thing that you think of if you ever see the show like The Haunting of or Haunted Places. Yeah, uh, things, that's the good stuff. Yeah, things that involve haunted houses. 99 times out of 100, I didn't include those or write them down. Or I have them still recorded somewhere, but I did not include them in the research that I did for public. Primary reason being... I didn't want it to result in property damage, if I'm mm. being honest. Uh, I don't want some place to get a reputation for being haunted and then the property value go down and I get sued for it. Mm. So that's why I didn't put it in public. So a lot of times I would hear people say like, so this happened to me. And then I even had, a, uh, still have, I just need to remember the password, the email address where people can send me their stories. And people would, would seek me out and talk to me. And that's, that's where I heard some, I heard some good ones. Oh, that way. Some of them that really like legit spooked me. Ooh, I want could, those. Because uh, <laughs> you could you could see it in their eyes when they were telling it. And they'd tell me how to go how to go track it and find out if they were they were real or not. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't again, I don't want to go looking for something I don't want to find. But there was I'll tell you I'll tell you a couple of them that that really got me the most. Story of the charred woman who walks highway thirty one. Now that's one you don't hear about too often. That's one that's one that, that whenever I heard it told to me, legit spooked me. Legend goes that the the woman was the wife of a sharecropper in the depression. He was prone to drunkenness and he was depressed and they decided they had no children and they lived in a little shack down by the creek and that they were gonna set it on fire. And he took out an insurance policy at the time, which was Kind of, kind of rare uh, at that point. And they were going to try and, and, and burn it down. I've heard two versions of the story. One is they were going to try to burn it down and get insurance money. And they, uh, they accidentally uh, died in the fire. He was killed in the fire and she was half burned. I'll tell that version and I'll tell the other version. The other version was that he was just a maniac. And uh, he came home and was going to commit a murder-suicide. Uh, was going to murder her, kill himself, and burn the whole place down. When that happened, uh, his bullet didn't kill her. And it, she was half burned, and she went out seeking help to the nearest road, which is very close to where present-day Highway 31 is. And, it, and it, she was walking on the road, still burned from it, gunshot, and she died right there, and no one would help her right there. The legend says that at night, you'll see the woman who's walking, who is wearing a tattered dress that's half burned or half black. She never faces you. She's always walking with traffic. And you'll go by her real fast. And then if you look in your rear view, she's not there. She'll disappear. And that she's there just walking the present day road, trying to get help or trying to walk to her neighbor's house. Other versions of it, she's crawling, or she'll even be laying on the side of the road. When I had originally heard that story, at the time whenever I did the, the book on it, I didn't know the whole legend. I just knew that there was a woman who was half, had a half-burned body that walked Highway 31. And I didn't know that it was the murder-suicide 
or an attempt at fraud that had gone wrong. So those were all things that I learned later. The lady in particular who told me that story was, was almost terrified just telling it to me. She was an older lady. She also told me a story about her house, which used to be located, they had to move because of a, a ghost that lived in it, she told me. Right along the Bosky River, there was a, apparently a man who was a vagrant had drowned right there in the Bosky. And his, his spirit haunted the woods nearby the area. Not the Cameron Park side, but what is across from about where, and I don't mind giving the locations now because the house isn't there anymore. About the location across from where the MCC boat dock is, mm-hmm. Bosky River stage, that area a little further set back. She said that there was a story of a, a man whose, whose last name was White, and they only knew that because he played with a Ouija board one night, that he would open all the cabinet doors, like that kind of stuff, poltergeist kind of things, that his spirit haunted those woods. And you'd see a silhouette wearing a hat when you, when you came up to your house at night, that the attic light would be on, he'd be standing up there. Mm. And that he would walk those areas all around the woods. They went and tried to look up past reports of people who had died in the area whose last name was White, uh, that he had supposedly died in the early 1950s, drowned over there. But there were no police reports ever filed about it, etc. But she said that she had met an older beat cop who had s- talked about pulling some guy out over there who had like a, a suicide note and then signed it something white. Hmm. And so you, you get stories like that, which were ones that... If I did a if I did a Goat Man too, uh, I might I might put in there. Oh, I refer to the book as the Goat Man book. Um, I might I might do that like in Goat Man too, or something. But I need to hear it from from another person or two before I'd want to put it in. Mm-hmm. Revenge of Goat Man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so hear stories like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also said I was going to tell you the Lindsay Brothers story. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. So this is a very popular local legend. So I'm interested in how that came up in as you talk to people about it. So one of the ways that I learned about the Lindsay situation was actually from oral history transcripts. I believe it was Eichlenberger, I think is what it is. He, mm-hmm. he did a brief shout out to it in one of his interviews. I can't remember who it was with. It might, it might have been uh, Tom Charlton. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think so. So there's two versions of the Lindsay Hollow brothers. Lindsay Hollow Road that goes through Cameron Park, where all the houses are located, was named for the Lindsay Brothers. They used to call it Lindsay's Hollow. Hollow being, of course, a clump of trees. At that area, that used to be the Old Meridian Road. And the Old Meridian Road was the road that used to go to Meridian. In fact, you can still go, if you go by HEB over there on 18th or 19th or 17th, whichever 10th street it is, right there by MCC, that's still the Meridian Road. And it's a paved version of the old Meridian Road that went through Cameron Park. Well, according to the legend, uh, the Lindsay brothers were horse thieves. They had stolen a couple of horses out in Bosqueville. A posse, a group of vigilantes, which Waco's kind of known for that, um, a group of vigilantes, then corner them and find them in a hollow along old Meridian Road, hang them in the trees. And the legend, one version of the legend uh, says that it was frontier justice. They found them. They hung them there in what is really about 50 to 100 feet off of Lindsay Hollow Road is where Old Meridian Road used to be, and that you'll see their shadows 
hanging in the trees. Sometimes you might hear them gagging or you might hear uh, sounds associated with somebody who's just been hung. That's the most popular version that's been told really since about the 1970s is that they were just a group of horse, you know, two, two brothers, horse thieves that were uh, lynched there along what is now Lindsay Hollow Road. The other version, which is the older version, is the one that I like, starts off settings the same way. They're out in Bosqueville. They've been stealing horses. And then whenever they steal the horses, they catch one brother, but they don't catch them both. There used to be little holding cells all over McLennan County. They look like a big cage, like a dog cage. And they would hold you in that cell until they could take you downtown or whatever. So they had little jail holding cells, if you will, look like little cages. And uh, according to the story, first Lindsay brother was caught. Given the option, do you want to go on into Waco tonight to see the judge, or do you want to wait until morning? Well, decided, eh, I'll just wait till morning. So they, they gave a, I believe I'm telling this right, it was like a teenage kid, uh, a gun, told him to keep an eye on him. Well, the kid fell asleep when he woke up. Next morning, the posse comes to take him into town. When they do, they find him there hanging in the cage dead. So uh, according to the legend, he was, he was hung there, lynched there by the group. It wasn't a suicide. Legend goes the vigilantes killed him there in the cell. Well, then that same day, after they're taking one Lindsay brother out, similar setting, evening's falling, and they catch the second one. Give him the same options. You want to go to that holding tank that your brother was just in, or do you want to go downtown to see the judge? Not staying in that holding tank. <laughs> nope. He wants to go <laughs> see the judge. So... They decide that night that they're going to take him on in. They take him in through Old Meridian Road. And according to the story, whenever a group of three individuals, I believe Eichlenberger, and this is, I believe this is his version of it, though again, it's been a while for me, mm-hmm. says that when they got to this one section in the clump of trees, that the posse was ambushed from gunfire. Lindsay, who's riding on a horse, has his hands tied. They said that uh, shots rang out. They don't know what happened. It was dark. It was starting to storm. And they all just headed for the hills, and, they, and he got away. Well, the next morning, the other Lindsay brothers found with bullets in his back lying face down on Old Meridian Road. Legend says that it was at that point his ghost, only one ghost, not two. The ghost of the second Lindsay brother is the one that haunts the hollow, wanting justice, saying that he'd been murdered as revenge from the vigilantes and that he will walk with you and plead with you to cut his ropes or his chains or whatever that he might harass you or mock you but that he isn't hanging from a tree that you'll hear you'll hear his boots on the ground and you'll hear things like that that he was instead murdered by the vigilantes with a shot in the back and he wants to clear his name is the legend well over time that one became very very popular And you could say that it's because of either trying to dissuade horse thievery, which was a pretty serious crime in Texas. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. To dissuade horse thievery and talking about how, oh, that's over in Lindsay's Hollow. That's the hollow where Lindsay was killed. And then over time it became both brothers died, which is true. But it was, in his version anyway, if I'm telling it right, so you can go look me up. You can go look it up tomorrow and, and <laughs> find, find out I'm totally, I'm totally messed it up, which is also quite possible. But anyway, that's the, that's the story of where that one came from. Though, again, if I go back and tell that story about the scarlet-haired woman who screams and rides through there, she rides along Cameron Park and rides along also through Lindsay, Lindsay's Hollow. 
And that was that ran in the News Tribune, I believe, on Halloween. They used to run specials where they would tell stories, hmm. the ghost stories in Halloween, in the Halloween editions of the News Tribune. And that's where you can find a few here and there. So in the Lindsay story, is the posse ambushed by the ghost of the first one? No, no, but boy, that'd be a pretty awesome story, wouldn't it? But uh, no, no, according to that one, he's just ambushed by either people that were part of his gang but that was always part of it was they were going to try and avenge the death of the other brother. So he turns himself in like as a setup and then they're going in and then they get ambushed. I mean, like something out of a Western, he's sort of the bait and maybe they did get ambushed and they just, you know, shot him in the back as they're riding off. I mean, and then also the, the first one, there's no ghost associated with the first one that dies mm-hmm. in the cell. No, at least not that I've heard of. Okay. Though, again, there's two versions of it. One is they catch them over in the hollow and they hang them right there. And that's where you see their shadows and the trees hanging. So the street is actually called Lindsay's Hollow? Lin- Lindsay Hollow Road. And it's got a lot of houses. It's a, it's a prominent residential area in the edge of Cameron Park. Usually people get names for streets when they do something pretty good. And they well, get it for being horse thieves that were shot. <laughs> it was known as Lindsay's Hollow. And so at that point, when they moved the old Meridian Road and cut Lindsay Hollow through Lindsay's Hollow, that's whenever they decided to go and name it that because people called it that anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you a few more of the ones I like. Okay. <laughs> um, another one I like is the story I call the Time Tramp. The, the abandoned bridge downtown, the old railroad bridge, I can't remember the specific name, but I, f- I figure you know the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one they're wanting to turn into like a walkway or something yeah. right now, or is a bike trail. Katie? Is that the Katie? I believe yeah. it is. Yeah. It's the one that doesn't have rails on it. Yeah. That one supposedly is haunted by an old vagrant who was trying to catch a train going out of town. They always came through consistent. You've heard the saying, make sure the trains run on time. All the trains ran on time, and uh, he was waiting for a specific train to hop it to get out of town and passed out drunk there on the tracks. The train ran him over. According to the legend, his ghost haunts the bridge and will ask you for the time. It'll just be a guy in period clothing who'll come up and ask, hey, do you know what time it is? And he'll look drunk, and he'll ask, do you know what time it is? And when you go to look at the watch, he disappears, or he's gone. So what time do you typically see him? Now, it varies. It depends. Uh, different people told me different times. So just for that, I'll say hmm, twilight. Why not? We'll do twilight. <laughs> and it might actually be what it was when I wrote it down. I can't remember, but it sounds good. We'll say twilight. Right at twilight is when you see him. Uh, another one that ran in the Dallas Morning News right around the turn of the last century because when I say turn of the century, you know, that could be 2000. Yeah, anyway, that's right. when I th- go back there, the Dallas Morning News used to run all kinds of weird stories like that. There's one about a demon who rides a bike through East Waco. Because what's really hard is to find a good ghost story out of East Waco. Most of the time, they're about more popular places that were frequented traditionally by whites. This one says that it's a, it's a demon who rides a bicycle through <laughs> East Waco up Elm a forest, uh, even over onto around Turner Street or so. He has a lantern on the front of his bike from an ember lit from hell. He'll show up if you're trying to light a pipe or a cigarette out back and ask if you need a light. <laughs> and then if he gives you one, the legend says that it'll, it'll, hurt, your, it'll hurt your mouth. Uh, you'll feel immense pain, and then he'll just laugh as he rides away. Others say that he'll turn into a skeleton as he rides away. The, another version of the legend says that only animals really see him. And so if you live in East Waco, 
and you have your animals, your dogs in the back just suddenly start going crazy. That's because they've seen the specter. There's also the one about over by Greenwood Cemetery uh, that there's a woman who wanders the area. She'll come into your house and be sitting on your couch in the houses that are surrounding Greenwood Cemetery. That she'll just be sitting there at night on your couch, just staring. And there's similar versions of that also in Lorena about a nosy neighbor who has red hair, who's an older woman, who will walk through walls and then sit, sit on your couch. Or you'll wake up at night, in particular downtown Lorena is where the, the, I call her the nosy neighbor in the book. You'll be asleep and you wake up and there in the corner you'll see she'll just be standing there looking at you in the middle of the night. And so to be quite honest with you, out of all the ghost stories I heard when I was, when I was putting the project together, those are the ones that really bothered me the most, were the ones that didn't have a whole lot of background to them. Mm. The ones that didn't seem well thought out, but yet multiple people knew about them. Mm. Those were the ones that really, again, bothered me the most. Stories about like uh, an old red-haired woman who just stands in the corner and watches you. <laughs> I mean, Something about a, invading I mean, your space. Just, yeah, yeah. And, and then also, I think the whole point of the story or that is to help you sort of have a, a reference for the fact that wherever you're at right now has had a previous history before you mm -hmm. and respecting the previous history of the buildings and the places where you're at and understanding that there were people there who had lives that are perfect strangers to you that share the same intimacy with that location. And so you see those same things happening with these stories over and over. And I think that's one reason why parks in particular, like Cameron Park, are very popular stories. Uh, Baylor has its fair share of ghost stories as well. Shared locations, experiences that are very different, that also one reason why I like folklore and things like this is because it makes you sort of have an appreciation for that place with a different set of glasses. I think I like kind of an opposite kind of ghost story where there's a long backstory mm. and there's a motive and it's easy to tell. And the, and kind of like you were saying how the ghosts are OCD where they keep doing the same things. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, a definite spot where if you're looking for that ghost, you can right go there. find it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an OCD ghost and it's right <laughs> here. There's one, you hear about like the ghost, you hear that like Cooper's ghost haunts the Cooper house, that it haunts his office. You'll see uh, the lights on because his office is as it was. The turret. Yep, yep. the turret. Yeah. The light will click on, the light will click off. You see him up there, see a silhouette up there. Mm. That's more of like your classic OCD ghost and one that I don't mind saying the location because they're well familiar with it. And it's not always very well received. Other times, it just I think it really just depends on when you ask about it uh, when you're at the Cooper house. For me, I feel like, you know, you're, you said about worrying about the, the property values if someone thought that it were haunted. Yeah. Especially some of these older places that have been around for a while, you can't do anything with them. Like, they're going to always be there. It kind of adds to it, I feel like. Well, but, <laughs> but again, saying you feel that way right, and saying you have, you know, a few hundred grand in the bank and you're wanting <laughs> to write a check here in Magnolia Town, I mean, that's, that's, and so it's different for each person. But a lot of times there's also, now there's haunted tours downtown and there's the paranormal uh, group do mm -hmm. that. And Isn't it safe to say that most of the older residences in town generally have a story or a collection of stories about them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and generally, if you're looking at like Castle Heights, 
Sanger uh, uh, Heights. Certain uh, certain places will have more stories. And again, the longer people have lived there, the more the stories are. Mm-hmm. And there's always very similar elements every time you hear the story. It might be someone dying unexpectedly, someone being murdered, or they have no idea where the the ghost originated or what the story is. It seems like most of the stories that, well, some in the beginning you told, these are, they're kind of neutral spirits. Some in the beginning you told were more malevolent in that they, they were against people or they were out to do you harm. Do you get that in the house stories as well, or is it more? Oh, yeah. yeah. The house stories, they're always very, very possessive of that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the house stories that you hear, it's always they're wanting to preserve the house. They don't like something you're doing to the house now, that it was their house that they built. It was their dream, and they have no desire to leave it, that their spirit is in the walls. A lot of times you hear about the only time, the only time if an area around a house or something like that is haunted, the only time that, that it's no longer that way is if the house burns down. And a lot of times houses that are that are haunted burn down or what happens is after those houses burn down, they get a ghost assigned to them, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Because when when you think about it, some of the oldest places in Waco, some of the stories that may have the the craziest past, et cetera, much more likely to not make it. That's right. It looks like it should be haunted. Is there any stories associated with the castle? Actually, not not. I've heard one, but I think I think somebody was just making it up to me. Okay. Uh, which you could argue they're all been made up to me, but they were made up by someone a long time ago, so they become their own thing. Not really that I feel worth sharing, just okay. the same thing. Uh, but man, I sure I sure hope there is one. <laughs> so posterity, your job is to make sure there's a good one about it if there isn't already. <laughs> and I, I think of landmarks like the Suspension Bridge and the Alico Building and. I would think those attract Washington Avenue Bridge, mm-hmm. kind of those features around town attract at least a story or two. Yeah. The suspension bridge, uh, that one, it kind of varies. A lot of times they get tied in with the legacy of lynchings. Mm-hmm. Uh, people erroneously think that there were massive amounts of lynchings on the suspension bridge when that's it's not the case. I mean... Mm-hmm. Of course, you have St. Majors on the Iron Bridge, but really, I'd, I've never really heard a, a ghost story associated with the St. Majors mm-hmm. lynching. But I do hear stories like with the Alico building. I hear weird stories, which is actually where the cotton bales comes from in the, the project's title, that the old Alico building was built on top of cotton bales. And it's, it's completely bogus. <laughs> it, it was an artesian well underneath it and it water permeates through limestone very well there's limestone all under us hundreds of feet of it it's more likely the cotton bales were in the basement of the alico building to act like a giant sponge to soak up all the water but the idea was that it survived the 53 tornado because it was built on cotton bales that acted like a big spring think like (laughs) how they build giant skyscrapers in in san francisco out of rubber they put the big rubber things underneath them or or they've they talked about doing that i don't know i don't i don't know what i'm talking about there but the same kind of idea and that's why it survived so like the project wasn't just about where spooks are it was also about just quirky stories around waco Mm -hmm. and in fact no it's just because it was built out of steel and steel could sway back and forth was there any stories about the Alico building? Like maybe I could think of the idea of it being so tall, people might want to jump, stuff like that. Now, I haven't heard any suicide hauntings or anything like that off the top of the Alico. I heard from one or two people, again, it's been a while since I did this project, that there was an inspector who haunts it. Uh, you'll see him at night 
down around all the structural supports, looking at things. The security around the Alico building is real tight. And me, as a, as a Wacoan, have had very minimal interactions with it. Though, though I do follow I Spy the Alico on Instagram, which is just pictures of the Alico building throughout the day at different angles. So yeah, Check shout out, out. shout out existed. to I Spy the Alico. Shout out to I Spy the Alico. Is that uh, managed by anybody you know, or is it just? Uh, like- it's. Uh, I became friends with the person after I found the account, uh, but it didn't go in reverse. Uh, she also writes lots of local blogs, etc. I, I encourage you to check it out. I'm imagining you putting this book together late at night. You're writing, and you've been gathering and talking to these people, and you hear a creak in your house, or. I'm just wondering the effect because you can think about hearing these stories and the role of these stories and you who've already admitted you didn't you didn't want to go looking to see if they're true. Hmm. I'm just wondering if if it began to have an effect on you as you heard these things. I had some weird dreams when I was doing this book. Uh, In fact, I got to where I would only work on the book during the day. That's awesome. I would not work on the book at night. Um, I would try to work on the book several hours before I went to sleep, and then I might go watch uh, a silly comedy, play video games, uh, do something else that was not associated with it to kind of hopefully reset my mind a little bit. Because some of them, uh, there's another story, the story of, uh, I'll tell you this one, Patrick Cemetery. Have you ever heard that legend? Mm-mm. The one out in China Spring. So there's there's two or three different versions of the legend, and I think they're all I think they're all the same legend, and people only tell you parts of it. One is that the tombstones walk around, the tombstones move, and that that if you go to visit, especially the older tombstones, some of the traditional ones, the ones that are made out of marble, uh, not granite, that the marble tombstones in particular will walk around and move. The other one is that if you go if you go knocking on tombstones, at Patrick Cemetery. If you go knocking on tombstones after dark, a ghost will rise up out of the ground and chase you out of the cemetery. (laughs) And then there's the one where they're all kind of put together. There's another legend. It's about a little girl who haunts Patrick Cemetery. In fact, most of the time what you find is cemeteries aren't, there's not a lot of ghost stories with cemeteries. It's usually places where people live, not places where people die. But anyway, so the story goes that there's, there's a little girl who walks among the tombstones, usually very early in the morning. According to the story, she's tied to the ghost who rises up out of the ground and chases you. According to the story, she's the one who moves the tombstones. Legend goes that there was uh, an abusive man who, who lived in the China Spring area. And again, it's, don't ask me the time period too much. I'm going to guess early 1900s. Story goes that after uh, her mother died, and uh, it, was, it was the man and his wife and the little girl... And that the mother dies unexpectedly. Uh, some, some versions say that it was from abuse, that he killed her one night when he was drunk and he didn't mean to hit her that hard kind of thing. Others say that she just died from, from a fever, whatever. But anyway, the, the wife dies and the man becomes despondent. Uh, he becomes uh, very out of touch and again decides to go with that good old-fashioned classic murder-suicide story decides that um, he can't take it anymore. The little girl looks too much like her mom. He grieves the mother too much. And he was a very very hateful man overall. He was mean and abusive. One night, kills the little girl, then kills himself. Though in some versions of the story, it's he kills himself at the same time. Others, it looked like an accident when she had died, and then he kills himself shortly thereafter. 
Well, the legend is that the little girl is trying to distract you from her father. She's trying to not get you to knock on his headstone. She wants him to stay away. She wants you to stay away. And if you see her, it's because you're getting too close to his headstone and she wants to distract you. Apparently, she's either, I don't know if she's buried next to him or far away or whatever. That's why the headstones walk. And so you don't know which one to knock on. Mm. And that she walks around the the grounds at twilight to distract you because that's when all the bus riders are there. See, that's a perfect example of the ones I like. It's got a backstory. It's got motive. It's got a place. I'll tell you what. There was one time I wanted to find out if one was true or not. And it it was at Patrick Cemetery. Sort of in, in line with that classic ghost story from San Antonio where all the kids were hit by the school bus. The school bus got hit by the train. And if you park there in neutral, it'll push you off the tracks and you'll see handprints on the back of your car. There's a spot where you can park. And I don't know, at least this is the way it was graded when I did it about six or seven years ago. Where your car is at an incline where, where you can't, it won't roll forward out of the front. And the legend is that she'll that she'll push you out. She'll push your car out. And I've only heard that one a couple times. So I was like, eh, what the heck? I'll give it a try. And I put my car there and I put it in neutral. And I'll be if a minute later it did not push me out the front. <laughs> and after that, I was like, nope, nope, I ain't doing this again. I'm not no, a ghost hunter. No, 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 no. I, nope, 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 I'm done. I'm done. And fun fact, I have not been back to Patrick Cemetery since that happened to me. Sounds uh, like the place to go this Halloween. So, um, <laughs> Road trip. And the funny thing is, it's always Halloween that the people get into this. Legends like this happen all the time, mm-hmm. year round. And that's just because of Sam Hain or Sawin, however you wish to pronounce it. And, and the thinning of the veil and the origins of Halloween and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. We like to scare ourselves. We do. Yeah. We do. We like to have, as morbid as this is, we have an appreciation for death. The fall is when it's the most evident in the trees and around you when things start getting colder instead of warmer. There's so many different parallels there. And so that's when, right before we're all thankful, first we all talk about how everything dies and then we're thankful. <laughs> and then we, have, then we have, you know, our modern twist of Yule christmas and things like that something so, about it though it just gets your blood going even if you're not someone who who wants to go seeking this stuff out you know it's when you hear the stories people talk about it it gets you a little excited yeah and a lot of times people have fun with it every now and then you'll encounter people who don't like it very much usually these are people who are extremely religious uh, which i'm i'm a religious person myself people who are extremely religious and a lot of times they'll take offense to it because it's the idea that that in an afterlife that's that's not what happens you know and it indicates more of discussing the darker sides of life which are often shunned especially in places traditionally associated with large with deep religious roots well like waco Mm -hmm. when it still happens they're just things are still around it's just they're harder to find at least in the open so when we were talking about doing this podcast i was thinking like what places do i think maybe haunted in Waco. And there's this place I always drive by and I don't have any backstory for it and they may not have any haunting whatsoever, but it's just odd to me. So I'm, I'm constantly driving from Lake Air, turning onto Hillcrest. There's that weird kind of T intersection mm-hmm. and there's a very small cemetery on a plot of land between two houses. And I have mm-hmm. no idea, I've never stopped there. I don't even know where you would actually, you'd have to park kind of farther away and walk there. It's not very easy to get to. I'm, I'm assuming it's a historic cemetery, but it's, it's very small. And I, I'm typically, so I drive by when I go to the gym 
and so it's typically like five in the morning mm-hmm. and i'm always thinking that's kind of creepy mm-hmm. yeah it's an it's a family cemetery i don't remember the total i used to know the background on it <sighs> there's a lot of random stuff floating around in my brain um <laughs> some of it sticks really really well and other others got a little too much a little too much pam sprayed on the walls uh, <laughs> it just doesn't stick but um I know it's a family cemetery. I know it's associated with the house across the street, I believe, which now, which now is, uh, is part of the Magnolian takeover, if you will. <laughs> hey, hey, I ain't hating on it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Just reporting. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't yeah. know if there was any history. It's, it seems odd to me because everything else is residential, you know, <laughs> and then there's just the cemetery right there on, this, on the street on a very busy intersection. Well, 31st, the evening of the 31st, Randy, let's... <laughs> Let's go out there. Y'all tell me how it goes. Y'all tell me how it goes. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go out into Cameron Park. You know, we're going to go everywhere. (laughs) And I'll tell you, someone else, someone who's very knowledgeable also about local local legends is Cindy Little. She runs the Waco Ghosts page. Mm. Uh, She has a Facebook page, etc. I highly recommend you check her out as well. She knows all kinds of local legends. And she'll she'll investigate them. Uh, she'll, She'll go a step past me. I am... Nope, nope. I am way too much of a of a chicken to be doing that kind of stuff. But she, um, yeah, she's someone else who. Well, if you're listening, we want you for part two. Yes, That's Cindy. Right. Oh, oh yeah. I'll be shocked if she doesn't. Yeah. Hi, Cindy. Yeah. yeah. So the chicken we're talking to is Brad Turner, and we want to highlight his book again, which is Lust, Violence, and Religion: Historic Life in Waco. Yeah, and, and about that book, yeah. I realize I'm talking about the Goatman book. The uh-huh. Goatman book, for all of you people who have pulled it up on Amazon, yep, I know how much it's listed for. That's because the book is currently out of print. It's a long, very, it's very... It's a ghost itself. It is. I mean, I only have like six copies of it. So how do people get it? I want one now. That's, that's a <laughs> brilliant question. It is a long, very sad story. I'm going to Ironically, it it's a ghost story in and of itself. So instead, what I encourage you is the Waco history book I did in 2010, Lust, Violence, Religion, has all kinds of pieces about Waco history in it. And if you buy the paperback version of it, 100% of the proceeds benefit the McLennan Foundation, the MCC Foundation that funds student scholarships. There's a massive amount of them. I don't make any money off of the book. There's a massive amount of the paperback ones that are around, so there's plenty of them. Uh, feel free to reach out to me, and I, I don't mind bringing you one. My email is brturner at mcclennan.edu. Feel free to send me an email. I'll get you a copy of LVR. Uh, again, all of it goes to, to the Highlander Foundation, which is uh, one of my favorite things in Waco. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. I am thoroughly spooked, and I've got a <laughs> list of places I want to go to now. I'm really excited about it. I mean, I think I feel like I got a better feel for the the Waco history of ghosts. Well, now. sorry, I'm not a spooky storyteller. It just I, I I've tried it before, and people just laugh. That was pretty good. I thought it was good. Yeah, thanks. Well, I, I appreciate the token compliment. <laughs> 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 And here's one more bonus ghost story for you. This is the ghost of South 10th Street. This is part of the Living Story series. Give it a listen. Everyone loves a good ghost story, especially when it involves their neck of the woods. 
Around the summer of 1915, South Waco found itself with a resident ghost. Mary Kemendo Sendon, who was in high school at the time, recalls when her aunt first spotted the otherworldly figure. She had been sitting by the window that night, and the next morning she told my mother, she said, you know, I saw something down the street last night. I think I saw a ghost. I was looking out the window, I said, I was half asleep, and all of a sudden I saw this figure in a long, flowing white robe coming down the street. And she said, I got up to get a better look. And by the, t by the time I got up, that figure disappeared. Well, my mother thought maybe it was a dream that she had, you know, and one more said, well, in another night or two passed, and the same thing happened. News of the mysterious appearances got out, and the Waco newspaper covered the story. It said, Ghost of South 10th Street and had our address, it said across the street from the our address. And it was, it really was a sensation because that night, people were coming sitting on the curb in front of our house. Up and down the street, they lined the entire street, sitting on the curb, waiting to see if they were gonna see the ghost. It went on for two or three nights, they didn't give up. Well, it got to the point where they were bringing their lunch and eating their lunch and, and even, you know, of course, they, thank goodness they didn't have radios in those days because they would, we would have had music all up and down the street, but it was noisy. They would bring bedrolls and, and sleep out there until early hours of the morning because when my aunt saw this, it was around three o'clock in the morning. So they wouldn't come in until about 10, just when we were ready to go to beast, and there they were. Interest gradually dwindled, and people stopped flocking to their address at night. But Sandon describes what happened one night a little later on when she and her sister were sleeping in the front hall. We had hardly gone to sleep when there was a tap on the door. I jumped up, and my dad heard it at the same time, and he was right behind me. And there stood this figure in a white robe, White nightgown it was, with a teacup in her hand. And my, my father said, what do you want? She said, do you have any whiskey? My father said, no. Well, she started down the steps with her teacup. It turned out that the ghost of South 10th Street was a neighbor's alcoholic cousin who was visiting from Chicago. The neighbor finally confided in Sendon's father that he could not keep her from roaming the streets at night in search of whiskey. So the mystery of the ghost was solved, but with a heartbreaking finding. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. We'll see you next time.